2: In London, this is The Economist. It's Monday, June the 1st, and this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation about issues in the worlds of business, finance and economics. I'm Andrew Palmer, the Business Affairs Editor, and I'm joined by Callum Williams, our Economics Correspondent, and Edward McBride the finance editor. And today we're going to be talking about US uh, GDP numbers and jobs numbers to come, uh, as well as a kerfuffle in the world of asset management. Callum, let's start with you and look at the US economy. We had numbers on first quarter performance last week, and this week we have jobs numbers. Let's look back and look forward and give us a sense of where the economy is.
1: So the numbers that came out on Friday were not very good. In the first quarter, the economy contracted by 0.7% which is was a a downward revision from 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 the first estimate of, of first quarter gdp now some people are kind of uh, have have seized onto this as a sign that everything's about to to slow down from what i've looked at that seems to be um slightly too pessimistic the jobs report as you say which is coming out on friday should be should be reasonably strong from from what i've seen and the other thing to bear in mind is that today in fact on on monday there are certain revisions that were made to various components of of GDP, most importantly, construction spending, which is a reasonably large chunk of the economy, and that's been revised upwards. They had thought that construction spending had fallen by 0.5%, and now they think it's risen by 0.5%, I think, instead. And that means that when it comes to the second revision of GDP, first of course GDP, which will happen in a few weeks' time, now people are saying, actually, it's going to be positive. So we've gone from positive to negative to positive again. So that seems kind of okay. And then in, in subsequent uh, quarters, even the most pessimistic forecasters, notably the Atlanta Federal Reserve, that now everyone is taking seriously because they predicted the first quarter correctly. Even they are saying there's going to be, you know, decent, at least, growth in the second quarter. So I think, although some colleagues would disagree, that things are looking kind of fine, actually.
2: Uh, the most important sort of component of US GDP is what's happening with the consumer. So, given your your sunny take on on where the US economy is is headed, what's going on with US households?
1: Um, well, this I guess might be the the most pessimistic part of of the of the story in you know, in a way. So, wage growth in recent months has kind of slowed down a bit. It had looked a couple of months ago that things were about to take off, but that hasn't been the case. And despite the fact that since you know last year, roughly. The oil price has fallen, you know, pretty substantially, and people have a lot more disposable income now. They're not spending so much on petrol. Things haven't really improved over the last few months, and there's, a, you know, various explanations as to why that is. I'm, you know, with my naturally sunny disposition, convinced by the idea that it is partly, at least, to do with with the sort of terrible weather that afflicted America at the beginning of this year. But you are right in the sense that, you know, if wages don't take off at some point, then uh, the, econ- the economy will start to struggle.
2: And the debate about productivity is also ramping up so you know it's not not just not just weather longer run effects are also being fingered for for this as well
1: absolutely and there's a couple of other things to do with the you know the amount of slack in the labor market and people who are working part-time when they'd rather work full- time and that has a big effect on, on on wages too so so there's lots of things going on but as I say the sort of overall picture doesn't look as, as negative as, as, as some people like think it is
2: okay well why don't we turn from the macro view to the to the micro view and the people who sort of run money and and make investment uh, decisions the asset managers and they are Edward under scrutiny from regulators as being potentially a threat to financial stability an idea that they recoil from what's going on
0: well as you say uh, regulators around the world really most notably the sort of global uber regulators something called the financial stability board This is a new group set up since the crisis to to monitor potential sources of systemic risk to the global financial system. It's headed by Mark Carney, the the governor of the Bank of England. It has been looking around for potential problems and has identified big asset managers, firms like BlackRock or Fidelity that, that run literally billions of dollars worth of assets for other investors. The Financial Stability Board has determined, in a, in a quite a woolly way, that they may be a potential source of instability, and has decided to look into them with a view to labelling them uh, systemically important. That very grand label, uh, the asset managers are worried, will come with all kinds of regulatory consequences, you know, administrative burdens, red tape, potentially having to hold capital. Obviously, asset managers have almost no capital because the assets they they manage are, they don't actually own, so they they don't hold anything against potential losses in those assets. They're worried that there may be a big new administrative burden placed on them. And they've come out fighting to to try and, and, and head off any future regulation
2: they've they've got a good case haven't they i mean you know they don't have any of the really nasty characteristics of banks where the regulators have been focused in the past not don't have tons of leverage as you say they don't have have their own sort of capital to hold against defaults it's someone else's problem don't
0: engage in maturity transformation particularly why should we worry about them well uh, that's broadly right C- clearly if the value of the assets they hold falls that's the problem of the investors. It's not BlackRock's problem or Fidelity's problem. So there isn't an obvious systemic risk there. And in fact, we've seen in in, in recent crises, for example, in the dot-com bust, the value of shares held in, in big funds plummeted uh, without causing uh, you know, clear uh, knock-on effects to in the financial system. Obviously, it harmed the economy to an extent, but, but the, there wasn't a meltdown along the lines of 2008 – that's basically how they the, the asset managers defend themselves, but it is a little bit more complicated than that. One thing is they do actually uh, do a little bit of maturity transformation in the sense that they often promise instant redemptions, even though the underlying assets they hold aren't quite as liquid as you would need to, to really be able to uh, pay people back instantly. So there's a potential problem there, and that's one of the things that regulators, both both the FSB and regulators in individual countries, are looking at is is imposing what's known as gates, i.e. a period where it's not possible to redeem your holdings in a, a fund or at least only redeem them for a penalty. They're thinking about making sure that asset managers have those as a matter of course so that if there is a run on their assets, it doesn't turn into a route. One other potential problem is that asset managers do sometimes lend out the shares that they hold, often to people who are who are planning to bet on share price movements, And it, it doesn't seem too far-fetched to imagine that that might, at a time of market turmoil, uh, cause sort of knock-on problems uh, within the industry and beyond. The bigger picture here is kind of risk moving around the system, right? So, you
2: know, we had the first set of rules were made to make the banks safer, now people are worrying about asset managers as more and more money pours into the fund managers. We have worries about sort of non-bank lending and shadow banks, which are sort of rising up the agenda. There's no real end to this. The regulators will end up chasing risk sort of forever and a
0: day around the system, won't they? Yes, I think they will. Uh, and I don't think there should be an end to it. You you would want the regulators to keep re-examining the rules and, and trying to see where risks are building up and, and responding to that. I don't think there's any question that the Financial Stability Board and and its counterpart in America, something called the Financial Stability Oversight Council, they're doing the right thing in looking at asset managers. The question is whether they're reaching the right conclusion. So clearly, there is a lot of money in this area, and clearly, you would want to at least ponder whether... Problems might arise. I think the problem is that the, the, the asset managers are right in, in in pushing back and saying, "Well, you haven't got much evidence for that." You know, great that you're you're looking for the source of future crises, but there's nothing to see here. And and I think the asset managers are probably right about that too. Well, we've talked about crisis without
2: mentioning Greece, so I'm sure that'll be for next week's Money Talks. Edward Callum, thank you very much. For more analysis of business, finance, and economics, visit our website. In London, this is The Economist.